Beijing extends its long arm abroad. Reports say the communist regime is exploiting American search engines to influence opinion on sensitive topics. Beijing threatens Washington with war over Taiwan. This during a meeting between Chinese and U.S. defense chiefs, marking their first ever face-to-face -face talks. A Trump-era order banned Americans from investing in Chinese military-linked companies, but the Treasury may be quietly changing the way it's enforced. The Commerce Department is going after three U.S. companies. It's an attempt to protect sensitive American technology from getting leaked to China. And protests escalate in China's financial hub. Some Shanghai residents are now demanding freedom and democracy. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The Chinese Communist Party has always kept a tight grasp on what its citizens can view online. But now, Beijing's long arm could be influencing opinion abroad as well, through Google, YouTube and other sites you may use all the time. And Didi's Chen Wu has the details. China has exploited Google, YouTube and other Western search engines on sensitive topics, including Xinjiang and COVID-19, asserting their narrative to American audiences. That's according to a new report from the Brookings Institution and the Alliance for Securing Democracy. The study, conducted over a four-month period, found that new searches for Xinjiang resulted in Chinese state-backed sources in the top 10 results 88 percent of the time. Chinese state media typically deny the genocide of ethnic Uyghurs in the region, which the U.S. State Department considers a crime against humanity. There was also a high volume of state-run sources and searches for conspiratorial terms. For example, a YouTube search for Fort Detrick, where Beijing claims COVID-19 originated, on average saw half of the results from Chinese state media. That means anyone unfamiliar with these topics could end up learning about them from Chinese propaganda. So how did Chinese state media become so prevalent in search results? The study says it could be the sheer volume of content produced by China. In the past decade, Beijing has invested heavily in its global media presence under communist leader Xi's goal of telling China's story well. For example, though COVID-19 was a top topic for all global media in 2021, the study says it received disproportionate attention from Chinese diplomats and state media, and that hashtag COVID-19 and hashtag Xinjiang were the two most frequently used hashtags on Twitter by all official Chinese accounts in 2021. The report calls for transparency in the algorithms used by Google and other search engines, so people would know how they determine and rank their results. Google did not respond to a request for comment. The researchers say that Beijing uses its state publications to disseminate their preferred, often distorted narratives around strategic issues through their own accounts. The report also warns that the findings likely underestimate Beijing's influence in search results because there are many sources not officially affiliated with but backed by the communist regime, and they regularly republish the regime's narratives. Chen Wu, NTD News. Current defense chiefs for the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party are meeting face to face for the first time. Their Friday discussion grabbed a lot of attention over talk about Taiwan. The CCP went so far as to threaten war over the island. Here's what they said. 
According to China's defense spokesman General Wei Fenghe said, quote, if anyone dares to split Taiwan from China, the Chinese army will definitely not hesitate to start a war, no matter the cost. After the meeting, Wei was asked about the meeting with U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. He said it went smoothly. A U.S. statement issued after the talks says Austin called on the regime to refrain from further destabilizing actions on Taiwan. He also reaffirmed the importance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and opposition to unilateral changes to the status quo. China claims self-ruled Taiwan as its own territory and has increased military activity near the island over the past two years. The communist regime has never ruled out taking Taiwan by force. The United States is Taiwan's most important supporter and arms supplier. This is a source of friction between Washington and Beijing. Austin and Wei met on the sidelines at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. It's a meeting that attracts top-level military officials, diplomats, and weapons makers from around the globe. Two seemingly contradictory moves are in the works in Washington. The Biden administration expanded a Trump-era order banning Americans from investing in Chinese military-linked companies. Meanwhile, reports say the agency tasked with enforcing the ban quietly told investors that they would not be punished for holding shares of those companies. Let's take a closer look. Trump pushed out the original ban in the final days of his administration, arguing that the Chinese regime exploits United States investors to finance the development and modernization of its military. He gave American investors one year to divest from some Chinese companies. After that, any investors still holding stake in the companies would face consequences. The one-year deadline arrived last Friday. The companies on the ban list are those that help advance the Chinese military or sell surveillance technology to Beijing, used to suppress dissidents or religious minorities. But in addressing whether investors who don't meet that deadline will be punished, the Treasury Department wrote, U.S. persons are not required to divest their holdings of CMIC, Chinese Military Industrial Complex Securities, during the relevant 365-day divestment period and may continue to hold such securities after the divestment period. That statement has raised concerns about whether the investment ban's key element is getting undercut. Japanese media Nikkei Asia first reported on the potential workaround. Republican Senator Marco Rubio told the outlet that the Biden administration, quote, watered down critical national tools to take on the Chinese Communist Party. Michael Wessel is a Democratic member of the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission. He said the Treasury simply got it wrong. As for the list of banned Chinese companies, Biden added more to the roster, but also rehabilitated some, including smartphone maker Xiaomi. The Commerce Department is taking steps to protect sensitive defense technologies. That's by suspending three U.S.-based firms from exporting satellite and rocket technology to China for 180 days. The suspension is renewable. These companies have been getting domestic orders to 3D print satellite, rocket and defense-related prototypes. But instead of printing them here, these companies send the blueprint and technical drawings to Chinese manufacturers and then input the items back to the United States. All this without the customer's consent or knowledge. A Commerce Department official says by sending their customers technical drawings and blueprints to China, these companies may have saved a few bucks, 
but they did so at the collective expense of protecting U.S. military technology. The three companies are based in North Carolina. They are Quicksilver Manufacturing Incorporated, Rapid Cut LLC, and U.S. Prototype Incorporated. The Commerce Department says investigation is still underway. It's calling on customers of these companies to check whether their intellectual property has been compromised. Over in Shanghai, protests in the Chinese financial hub aren't slowing down. Authorities lifted the city's two-month lockdown for some neighborhoods earlier this month. But a number of them were shut down once again soon after, after health workers found new cases of COVID-19 locally. Amid arrests and confrontations with police, some protesters are now calling for democracy and freedom in the city. Here's more. In a neighborhood in the center of Shanghai, residents are protesting a second round of lockdown. The city's earlier shutdown lasted two months and fueled widespread frustration. Many residents grappled with lost income, the loss of freedom, deaths of friends and family, and even hunger. But this neighborhood's second lockdown appears to be the last straw for some. Residents there were spotted in a rare standoff with police. One man was arrested, while video captured a crowd of residents showing solidarity with a detained man. The crowd questioned police officers about what basis they had to make the arrest. During his arrest, the detained resident pressed his hands together, a gesture of appreciation for those supporting him. While the police took him away, some residents shouted slogans like freedom and democracy to protest. They arrest people without any basis. Looking at this green iron fence, so far nobody has ever told us the reason and regulations for it. And on top of that, they took that resident away. Police arrested two residents from the community. Two more people who had recorded the incident on video were missing as of Thursday. Some residents called on all Shanghai's people to stand up and speak out. One resident stood outside the community's gate telling people that they could face the same problem if they keep silent. To protect his safety, we're keeping him anonymous. There will be no hope if none of us stand up now. Prisons can hold 10,000 people, but not a million people. Coming up, is Latin America the battlefield of a tipping point for world powers? We look to Brazil, one of the biggest players in America's South, and hear from an insider about Beijing's unusual tactics for infiltrating the country. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. U.S. President Joe Biden unveiled new pledges to help Latin American countries. He made the announcement at a Thursday summit, where leaders from those nations and Canada gathered in Los Angeles. The White House is looking to counter China's growing influence in the region. By proposing more U.S. economic partnerships with neighbors to the south, experts are calling the current situation a tipping point for world powers. That is, America's influence in Latin America is slipping to the Chinese regime. Former U.S. military intelligence and information operations official Jim Fennell explains the big picture perspective. And over the course of the last 18 years, you know, trade between China and Latin America has gone up and up and up uh, dramatically. And in 2021, there was 
$450 billion worth of trade, almost a half a trillion dollars worth of trade between China and Latin America. One of the biggest players in the Southern Hemisphere is Brazil, the nation often considered Latin America's powerhouse. China is now Brazil's main trade partner. Of that $450 billion in trade between China and Latin America in 2021, Brazil alone covered nearly a third. The figure marks a new trade record. Though Beijing's tool belt extends beyond trade, Brazilian journalist Paulo Figueiredo gives one example building connections with Brazilian congressmen. First thing that they did was that the Chinese government paid a trip for the whole party of the president of Brazil right now to go to China. And the president of Brazil, President Bolsonaro, is very anti-China. But they, instead of, instead of uh, paying the president to go to China, they paid his party, all the Congress members, senators, and to go to China. That influence was soon revealed. During the first or second year of uh, President Bolsonaro's term, they all turned against the president to the point that the president had to leave the party. The, the president left the party that he got elected. Those inroads also grant China access to natural resources like Brazilian coal and lithium, among others. Recently, the head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's International Affairs Division said the U.S. must do more to strengthen ties with Brazil. The U.S. is Brazil's second most important trade partner behind China. The difference is that Brazil runs a trade surplus with the Asian country and a deficit with the U.S. The United States used to be the number one uh, country in terms of uh, trade with Brazil. But during the administration of the Workers' Party, which is um, our sort of a communist party in Brazil, and Brazil started to, to tie the relationship with China. Now China is the number one trading partner that Brazil has right now. And because of that, uh, they have a tremendous power, tremendous power in every sector. He added that by 2027, China intends to buy more meat from Brazil than the total production of the European Union. Natural resources make up another piece of China's strategic jigsaw puzzle. On that list, iron ore. Not long ago, Brazil's mining giant Vale made a deal with Beijing, one that will significantly increase its shares of the Chinese market. But Fennell warns that it comes with a price. Uh, the Chinese may say, well, we're now, we've done this great project here in China to deepen our ports to allow these big vessels to come in. What will you do for us to allow us to maybe have some kind of an arrangement where we can come in with our ships? Uh, similar to what we're kind of seeing in, in the Solomon Islands right now, where there's this uh, security pact that's come in and a, an element of the security pact says that Chinese warships can pull into uh, port into Solomon's uh, if they need to. And that's not based on assumption. Fennell says he witnessed China had sent and used military there when he was on active duty in 2014 to 15. But there's also been reports of, you know, conflicts between Argentinian fisheries, uh, fishermen and Chinese fishermen and Brazilian, uh, where they've been in conflict, open conflict at sea as Chinese fishing fleets are poaching, stealing uh, resources from uh, these, these nations in South America from their fishing fleets. Given those conflicts, Fennell warns we could see escalation. The U.S. State Department is launching a new team of diplomats. They are tasked with addressing what they call the country's most important geopolitical threat. 
The scale and the scope of the challenge posed by the People's Republic of China will test American diplomacy like nothing we've seen before. I'm determined to give the State Department and our diplomats the tools that they need to meet this challenge head-on as part of my modernization agenda. This includes building a China House, a department-wide integrated team that will coordinate and implement our policy across issues and regions, working with Congress as needed. Lincoln didn't give details about the China House team structure or operations. Though a White House spokesperson said later that Washington will speed up the process of adding resources and expertise on China to it. According to a foreign policy report from last September, the new coordination effort is directed to watch China's growing footprints in the world's major countries. The report estimated that 20 to 30 staff members will be assigned to the task, including a number of regional China Watch officers. The report also cited an insider as saying the official launch of China House may come in 2024 and that its future office building is currently under renovation. China is strengthening its ties with Russia. The first road bridge between the two countries officially opened Friday. The half-mile-long bridge connects a Russian city with the Chinese city of Heihe. During the opening ceremony, Russian and Chinese trucks crossed the bridge to a fanfare of colored smoke bombs. Officials from both countries participated in the ceremony via video link. Yuri Trutniev, one of Russia's deputy prime ministers and presidential envoy to the country's Far East region, suggested that the bridge has a symbolic meaning of strengthening the friendship between Russia and China. Construction of the bridge started in 2016. Authorities in Shanghai are urging residents to get tested for COVID-19 this weekend. Because of it, millions of people will be confined to their homes. The news is unsettling residents and raising concerns about the business's impact of future stay-at-home orders. Here's more. Shanghai will lock down millions of people again over the weekend, just 10 days after lifting its grueling two-month confinement. Authorities have ordered PCR testing for all residents in 14 of the city's 16 districts. Five of the districts said residents would not be allowed to leave their homes while the testing was carried out. The Chinese commercial hub is racing to stop a wider outbreak after discovering a handful of community cases. The latest scare triggered another rush to grocery stores and online platforms to stock up on food. Some areas had remained sealed off or quickly returned to lockdown due to infections and their close contacts. Zhang Jian is a 34-year-old estate agent. Of course I'm worried. Lockdown was just lifted on June the 1st. We're slowly recovering and returning to some semblance of normal work. The residential compound next to mine has already been under lockdown. If there is a mass testing and there is another positive case in the compound, it will have a serious impact on our lives, including our work. The latest round of mass testing comes on top of already heavy testing requirements in Shanghai after easing its earlier lockdown. Residents must prove they have been tested within the last 72 hours to enter areas like malls and offices, or even to use subways and buses. Meanwhile, in Beijing, authorities shut entertainment and internet venues in two of the capital's largest districts after tracing cases to a few bars. 
Next, a look at the impacts of Beijing's one-child policy. What does it mean for Chinese people and Chinese society? We take a closer look at a question sent in by our viewers. Earlier this week, Elon Musk once again cast his concern toward China's population decline on Twitter. He wrote that China had its lowest birth rate ever last year, despite having a three-child policy. He also predicted that along with this trend, China will lose about 40 percent of its population every generation. Home to the world's largest population, China plays a critical role across the world, not to mention its huge market and labor force. And over the next 20 or 25 years, what is likely to happen is that the manufacturing complex of the global economy is going to see a shrinking labor force. What has really brought things to a head is that we're getting a little peak of that future because of the shortage of labor that we're seeing in the advanced economies. Behind all that, the harsh reality of China's former one-child policy. Experts say the rule is likely one of the major causes of the current population crisis. It was in place for decades before its repeal in 2015. Under it, anyone who violated the order and had more than one child faced severe fines, forced abortion, and even forced sterilization. The one-child policy also brought on another issue, a major demographic imbalance. Allowed to have just one child, many Chinese families preferred a son over a daughter, partly because the long-rooted notion that boys were more suited for agricultural work and partly because sons are expected to care for parents in their elderly years, whereas daughters will eventually marry into other families. Massive numbers of unborn female babies were aborted as a result. That way, couples could try again for a boy. In 2020, there were 37 million more males than females in China. Now, with more than a generation's worth of only child in China, many are facing the burden of looking after their aging parents alone, without help from siblings. Daryl Bricker, author of Empty Planet, The Shock of Global Population Decline, stated, What makes population decline so implacable, once it sets in, it's virtually impossible to stop. Because every year, there are fewer women of childbearing age than there were the year before. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow.